Welcome in JSK Media Sports Podcast. I'm Jonah Klingman. And I'm Sean Schball. And you're going to want to stick around to the end of this one because we're going to have an exclusive interview with Cal Women's Basketball Head Coach Sharman Smith. But before we get to that, let's jump right into other things. Sean, we're about a week in, a little over a week into the pitch clock, and it's been wild. The average game time in the first full slate of games last Saturday was two hours and 37 minutes. The last time the average game time was shorter than that over the course of a full season was 1979. And there have been some wacky things, Sean. A a game ended last week with bases loaded in the ninth inning with a strikeout via pitch clock violation by the hitter. Monday, a count started one and one because neither were ready. It's been wild. It's really shortening games. It's really speeding it up. There's a bunch of YouTube videos where... Yesterday, there was one where someone threw a whole strikeout. Someone struck someone out in three pitches, and they compared it with a video of of a that's one pitch last year. Or I don't know if you've seen the one, but there's where it was a whole inning pitched in the time it took Pedro Baez to throw one back in the 2017 NLCS. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, initial thoughts? I do like that the games are now being shortened and we're able to get through games faster. And when you're watching on TV throughout the season, it's not going to be that three hours every time. But at the same time, if I was at a baseball game, it's coming down, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, a one-run game, and it ends because the batter was tightening his gloves and didn't get in the box fast enough, I'd be so disappointed. It's one of those things that sounds so good, and I love that they're shortening games, until there's a strikeout, something happens, we have all this momentum, and it all goes away just because of this small part of the game which should be part of the game that whole routine that players do should be part of the game and I I like that the games are shortening but I don't think it's worth it to lose the routine that players go through and also the chance of games ending like that it's so it it ruins so much of the game and it ruins so much of the energy that comes with the game if you're gonna tell me my team's gonna lose because he hits because whatever he strikes out he hits a fly ball whatever happens that's fine but I want to be in the control of my players in the game, not because they took too long to get in the batter's box. I like it. I like the pitch clock, and I agree with everything you said. There's there's definitely a, a compromise. Formal play, former player Jerry Hairston was saying, maybe don't do it in the ninth inning and extras, and I don't love that idea. If you're going to do it, do it. Perhaps maybe extend the time, or, or Ben Verlander was saying, he was tweeting, he was saying, Maybe instead of the pitcher motion, make it when they come set because there have been some issues with with runners on bases, the pitcher coming set, ready to pitch. But again, there's a timing mechanism, so it should start when they come set. Here's another thing. There was a two-hour, four-minute game the other day. If I get in my seat at 7-10 and at 9-15, the game's over. Now, look, I still saw nine innings of baseball, but I'm still a little pissed. I, I want I want three hours of the ambiance. Look, on a Tuesday night in April... If I'm home, will it be nice watching a, not watching a four-hour marathon? Maybe. But this rule still eliminates 200 years of history, and it just sucks the quintessential nuance to baseball out of the game. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, and I think that goes back to what I was saying before about there, there's so much nuance to baseball. There, there's so much that goes into it, and it, there's so much mind games that I think that this pitch clock is taking out. When you see a pitcher that's pitching just on a roll and can't be stopped, just striking out batter after batter after batter, you'll see the guy come in, he'll take his time, try and get him off his rhythm, you know, call time, whatever it is, try and mess up the pitcher. Because when they're in that rhythm, some of them just can't be stopped. 
But because putting in this pitch clock, now it's only going to help the pitcher get stay in that rhythm. You're not giving those like mind game abilities back to the batter and the pitcher also. When there's men on base, there's so much they can do before they start their motion. And it's it's taking out so much of that. I don't I don't like that it's ruining all these parts of baseball that we love, all these mind games of baseball that real fans love to see. And it's making it more of a basic game and taking out a lot of the depths of the game, I think. Absolutely. The cat and mouse game is what makes baseball so unique and makes it so interesting. And all I could think when I see these hitters have to rush back in the box is how much Nomar Garcia Parra would hate it. You know, his whole his whole glove thing, he he'd have to figure something else out, or I guess just get a bunch of violations. But the more overarching issue, if you will, here is the rule changes for the most part, and I think especially this rule change, are made to appeal to the non-baseball fans, which is understandable because it's a business. It's a market. But that's where there's fan frustration. I've seen some fan frustration online. The MLB isn't tinkering to uh, to appeal to me and you. They're appealing to the non-baseball fans who apparently want a quicker game. I mean, yeah, and I, I understand where they're coming from, and it makes sense. You know, baseball is known as a boring sport to a lot of people. They find it boring, hard to watch. It goes so slowly, not a lot of action, and the action is in very short spurts. But... It's what we love about the game. It's what me and you love about the game. It's what so many huge baseball fans love about the game. You can sit there and watch it, and it's so complex when you really look at it. You know, While every play might look like it's small with no action, nothing's really happening, there's so much that goes into it once you truly understand it. And I understand them trying to appeal to these non-baseball fans, make the game quicker, make the game more exciting, more hits, more runs, more strikeouts, more home runs, everything. But it's if you're going to ruin the game of baseball we've loved for so long, it's the oldest sport of America. It's a game we, we all love so much, and I think they're ruining a lot of it. And I think they're taking out a lot of what we love about the game. Speaking of what we love about the game, all sports have signs, right? Every sport you're going to call plays, but in yeah. baseball, it's, it's so unique. And obviously, there's been a lot of issues with sign stealing. So last year, in an attempt to not only make sign stealing less easy, but also to speed up the game. Signs can take a long time. Oftentimes when there's a runner on second, the pitcher gets confused, has to have a mound visit. So last year they implemented the pitch comm, where basically the catcher had some buttons and could call pitches and the catcher and pitcher and even the shortstop or the center fielder had a little earpiece in their ear to hear. But this year they're giving the pitcher that option, which is what they do in college with the pitch comm, that the pitcher can call it. So I don't know if you saw, but Monday Max Scherzer, he called his own pitches on the base of his glove using using pitch comm. And after the game, he said, quote, I don't think it should be in the game. Stealing signs is a part of the game. I've always taken pride on having a complex system of signs and having that advantage over other pitchers. Sean, thoughts of pitch comm in its entirety in terms of the catcher having the ability, but also this new experimentation allowing the pitchers to have a device too. So I think pitch comm is good for the game. And I understand where Max Scherzer is coming with the stealing signs with the man on second, everything that goes into that. But I think the problem with normal signs like it was before is teams are so technologically advanced now that it's so hard to prevent them from stealing signs like the Astros did. While the Astros are the only team that have been caught and it's been come out publicly about what they did, I'm sure there are many other teams that were stealing signs the way the Astros were using cameras, using other technology to steal signs illegally. And I think 
it's too common to have signs a normal way. And I think pitch calm is helping with that. I mean, you can't steal signs when a catcher covers his pitch calm, presses a little button. You can, you can barely see, even see his thumb move, right? You have no clue pitches coming. And I think it's just too easy for teams to steal sign in a normal way. So I like that they added in the pitch calm. And I think the advantage of having a complex system isn't doesn't feel as big as team stealing signs with technology would be. I feel like it the positives of pitch calm overweighs the negative. And with the experiment of the allowing the pitcher to have it, I love it. I love seeing a pitcher, a guy like Max Scherzer, these other big name guys taking power over their game and letting them decide. And if if the team thinks it's best for the team to let the pitcher decide, I don't think there's any reason they shouldn't. So I, I think it's adding to the game even more. I agree. I like it. Something funny yesterday. Kenta Maeda's coming back from Tommy John. And he and he pitched yesterday and he used the he called his own pitches using pitch calm and the catcher called a little too. And in between innings, the umpire let the catcher know, hey, your earpiece is way too loud. Me and the hitter can hear it. So they knew every pitch that was coming. You know how Kenta Maeda did, even though the opposing team knew every pitch coming? How'd he do? Two shutout innings. So, you know, that kind of throws a, a, a rent in the pot a little bit. But I just thought it was funny. I like the pitch calm. And if you're going to make them have a pitch clock, you have to give them ways to speed up sign transferring. Now, before we get into some team stuff, sticking with MLB, this is kind of a rule change. I wouldn't really call it a rule change. But starting in 2023, all 30 teams play all of their 29 teams, right? Of course, years back, they had interleague play. They had some subway series. What it was last year and for the previous 10, 15 years was that you play a certain division in the interleague and switch off every three years. So... Let's say uh, an NL West team will play an AL West team every every three years, but now every team will play every team. Do you like that? I love it. I think that it's great for the game. I think you now get to add in more year by year rivalries that we don't get to see. You know, every three years when the Yankees would come to Dodger Stadium, it's this huge deal. Two of the greatest franchises in the history of baseball, huge names everywhere coming together in Los Angeles. There's there's nothing more you can ask for. And it was so sad only getting to see that every three years. I think it's be really good for the game. Well, really, it was every six. They would play each other every three years, but yeah. Well, yeah, every six if you're coming to Dodger Stadium. Yeah, I mean, that's so rare. You, you rarely ever get to see it. And now... And when they're playing each other every year, it's adding so much to these rivalries. And, and you can make it more division-wide rivalries. You can have an AL and NL team that are rivals because they play every year. And I think the only negative that I can really find in this playing all 30 teams is losing the losing the amount of games you get to play your division. You know, uh, that huge amount of games you get to play the Giants every single year is being taken away. But we still get to play them enough. And I don't think that's really enough to outweigh getting to play a team like the Yankees every single year. I think it's great. I understand the argument. I understand teams like Dodgers will play the Giants less. Teams like the Red Sox will play the Yankees less. And the list goes on. But as a baseball fan who not only wants to visit all 30 major league stadiums, but would like to see my Dodgers play in all 30 major league stadiums, that can come a lot sooner and come with a lot less planning. I think it's really exciting. I'm really excited. For me, it's more so, this is just the start. 
some expansion teams are going to come in the next few years. I really do believe that. And with that, they're going to realign some stuff. Baseball is going to look very different in a few years. You look at football, four divisions in each conference. I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming to baseball soon. I think this is just the start of a very different looking alignment in Major League Baseball in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think you're seeing it throughout all major sports that they're adding in more teams. It's making it a bigger market. They're making it more exciting, bringing in these new teams. And I think baseball is going to follow. I think it's going to open the market more. I think they're going to bring in more fans, bringing teams to places that didn't have them before. So I think it's exciting to see. And I'm excited to see where they expand and how they do that whole process because it's a big thing, adding a new team, the whole expansion draft you have to have. But I'm excited. I mean, if you look at hockey, they added in the Vegas Golden Knights. What was it, three years ago? And they're already one of the best teams in the NHL. And even the new Seattle team is doing really well. Yeah. So it's exciting to see, you know, how quickly how, how quickly teams can flip around a whole league, bring in a new big name team that's dominating the MLB would be exciting to see. So I'm excited. I hope it happens. We were ripping on Manny Machado a couple of weeks ago when he when he blew the whistle saying he's going to opt out. But really what this was doing was applying pressure on San Diego. He signed a 10-year contract. He wants to be in SoCal. He likes the Padres. But it's a game. He needed to apply the pressure. Again, the cat and mouse game between the pitcher and the and the and the hitter is just like the one between the player and the organization. So Manny Machado signs an 11-year, $350 million extension. That's an annual average salary of $31 million. His original one signed in 2019 was 10 years, $300 million. So let's take a look at the Padres. Padres extend you Darvish to age 42, sign Xander Bogarts to age 40, and now extend Manny to age 41. These are some old guys they're going to have locked up. Look, I like it. They're going to win now, but they usually say you don't do these long contracts, and they're saying, oh, oh we're going to do them, and we're going to throw a lot of money at a lot of people for a lot of years. I, I really don't like what they're doing with the organization. I think you look a couple years back, and you were thinking, oh, these Padres went after all these young stars, these big names that are super young, signed for a long time, they'll have a great couple of years. But that started in 2019. We're already four years off that. All those guys that were young back then are now are now leaving their prime in the MLB. They're getting older already, and now they're signing these same guys for even longer. By the time, man, he's 41, he's not going to be producing like he is now. By the time he's 35, he's probably not going to be producing the same way he is now. They're going to age quickly, and if they don't win within the next couple of years, I don't think they're going to win with this roster. You look at how Albert Pujols was when he signed with the Angels, signed a huge contract with the Angels. The first four or five years were great, and the last five just declined, 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 declined. So we were barely even starting and probably shouldn't have been starting. So I think that they're slowly just going to regress until they hit that year, and they're just going to drop straight down to nothing. Look, this is what you have to do now. If you want players, the way the market works now, you're going to have to give them a decade's worth of $30 million a year. The thing here is, there's this narrative when you look at teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees who sign big contracts. Oh, they buy their teams. Oh, the Yankees, the evil empire. The Dodgers buy championships. But then when the Padres do it, wow, they're spending money. That's so great. Wow. I love the but this is what you got to do now. So so whether the, you like the narrative, you hate the narrative, whether it's for your team, against your team, this is what you got to do now. 
This is what you got to do now to get players. Sean, earlier we were talking about the pitch clock and how it speeds up games. And I just want to touch a little bit. We're in a new age of short form media. And I, I don't want to sound like some old person who, you know, when I was a kid, you'd sit in the, in the movie theater for three hours. But look, we're in an age of short form media. Everything is really quick now. Tap, tap, tap. You look at TikTok, Reels, YouTube Shorts, the list goes on. People want things shorter. But this one I'm not really understanding. And I want you to help me out a little bit because you know it way better than I do. College football is considering some rule changes to, you guessed it, speed up the game. The rule changes under consideration include running the clock after a first down is awarded, except in the last two minutes of either half, eliminating the option for teams to call consecutive team timeouts, and carrying over any fouls to the next period instead of finishing with an untimed down. Sean, you love college football more than just about anything. I think more than you love me. (laughs) How do you feel about this? I don't like it. I understand, and I think this is the same thing we're talking about with the MLB, that to a lot of smaller fans that watch college football every once in a while for the really big games, and that's about it, they'll love this. They're saying, okay, we're going to take 10, 15 minutes off the game. We're going to move faster and faster and faster. The clock's going to go, and it's just going to move the game faster. But to a real diehard fan, I, I just don't like it. I don't like that they're trying so hard to speed up the game and and conform to the media of today. It's ruining so many of the great aspects of the game and so much that we know about the game. And and for, for example, with the consecutive team timeouts, there's so much that goes into it. There's so much that goes into a team coming out late in the fourth quarter with this offense. They call timeout, bring out this offense. The defense call a timeout so they can adjust to it. You know, there's so much that goes into it. There's so much that these strategies that they're taking out of the game impact the game. And I think them taking it out is, is yes, going to bring in more people that wouldn't be watching it, but diehard fans that watch all day, every Saturday during college football season aren't going to like it. It's ruining every a lot of what they love about the game, a lot of the strategy that goes into the game. So I, I really don't like it. Sean, before we get into our interview portion, first off, I agreed with everything you said. You said it there. I don't need to touch on anything else. Before we get into our interview section, I still want to play a little game. I'll give you one trivia question. World Baseball Classic is coming up a couple weeks, really in a week. So in honor of the international spirit, what is the only country to have played in every single soccer World Cup? Is it Brazil, Germany, France, Portugal? That's tough. I'm going to go Brazil. You got it, Brazil. Brazil is the only country to have played in every single soccer World Cup. That's what I thought. Sean, in a couple weeks, we'll be covering March Madness, but really we'll be following the men's bracket. And ahead of the women's side of the tournament, though the California Golden Bears won't be in it, I got the chance to chat with head coach of the California Golden Bears, women's basketball team, Sharman Smith. Her team went 13-16 and 16 this year. That was good for only 10th in the Pac-12. And they went to the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas, but they lost their first game to Washington State Cougars by a final score of 61 to 49 so not great success for her team this year but as a player though in collegiate ball smith helped stanford win three consecutive pac-10 championships and make three consecutive final four appearances in 1995 96 and 97 and played professionally from 1997 to 2003 an extraordinary person enjoy the interview 
Coach Smith, you played four years at the collegiate level over at Stanford and then played professional mm-hmm. ball before switching over to become an assistant coach at Boston College. And now you've been the head coach of the Cal women's basketball team since June of 2019. What was it like switching from the mindset of a player to a coach? And was there someone in your life, a former coach maybe, or even a relative that you model your leadership off of? Um, yeah, I think uh, it's kind of a unique story for me in that I never really um, thought about coaching. Um, you know, I just wanted to play as long as I could. And, uh, you know, I have my my undergraduate and my master's degree in civil and environmental engineering, and I really thought I would be working in that field. But, um, you know, when I stopped playing in the WNBA and kind of wasn't healthy enough to to continue to make a roster, um, I had a hard time walking away from the sport. And so that's uh, when I was back at Stanford working basketball camp um, and my coach, who's still the coach, Tara, he's like, Charmin, you should really think about coaching. And I was like, no, I don't want to be you. <laughs> and uh, You know, I don't want to coach. And she's like, no, I should just really give it a try. And I didn't really have anything else on the table at the time. And, you know, she made a phone call for me and I had the opportunity at Boston College with Kathy Inglis, who's a great, who's a great head coach. Um, And then I guess, as they say, the rest is history. Um, And so I I wasn't planning for it. Uh, But once I got into it, it was something that I really enjoyed. And in terms of who I model my leadership after, I think I learned a lot from Tara. Uh, playing at Stanford, working for her for three years that I did. Um, and then my professional experience, you know, playing um, for Lynn Dunn, um, Brian Agler. I just think I've, I've played for some really great coaches and, and learned a lot through um, through them. Um, and I guess, you know, it's shaped who I am as, as a coach today. I love that. Hearing about your past coaches means so much. Just One last question. This is a little more on the wacky side, if you will, but amongst your playing career or even your coaching years, is there any item of memorabilia that you've held on to or something that comes onto your mind, maybe a jersey or a ball or anything else you've held on to? Um, I mean, I have a lot of things, you know, jerseys, definitely. Um, In St. Louis, my mom has my Stanford jerseys. I have WNBA jerseys up here in my office, um, final four rings, you know, pack, pack 10 championship rings. Um, I have a box of Stanford gear from when I was a player, like our sweats and everything. And, um, I can't get rid of it. It's just something that, that I'll always have. Um, I have another box of WNBA gear from the teams that I played on, um, so there's some things that I just can't let go of, I guess. Um, most recently, um, I had um, my best friend from Stanford uh, passed away. Uh, and his family gave me this. This is a victory ball from Stanford. And we throw them after every win. And he had this on his desk in his office and we graduated in 97 and he had this victory ball from some game that I played in um, ever since then. And so uh, this may be the coolest thing that I have right now is um, this ball that reminds me of my friend Craig and of all the victories that we had at Stanford when I was there. That's awesome. Do you do you ever go to Stanford? You've been here. You ever go across the bay and visit? Uh, you know, when we play there, I... Um, 
you know, it's really cool to go back and to see some of the fans um, that are still there from my time. So it's always cool to go home. Uh, I've taken some family members over there just to tour the campus, you know, um, people that are interested in Stanford go down and check things out. It's, it's like how it's like ever changing, you know, every time I go back, I'm like, Oh, what's that building? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I spend time there, um, occasionally. Awesome. That's all I got for you, coach. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. No problem, Jonah. We hope you enjoyed that interview. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the JSK Media Sports Podcast. We appreciate you choosing us for at least a snippet of your weekly sports intake. For more JSK Media content, follow our Instagram or TikTok at JSK Media Co. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.